This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammy here. We've got a re-release that is a drag queen supercut with Trixie Mattel, Bob the Drag Queen, Peppermint, and Alaska Thunderfuck. Thank you to Sierra, producer extraordinaire, for this wonderful idea. Hey, do you want to see me do stand-up live? Well, I will be in San Francisco, November 12th. I'll be in Seattle, November 20th. I'll be in Chicago, December 30th and 31st. For tickets to all of those, go to CameronEsposito.com. Enjoy the episode. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. How are you so good at being funny? Tell well, me. Well, I think drag always starts base level. It's failure. Mm. You're not a woman. Everyone in the room knows you're not a woman. It's sort of like if you're going to have technical issues or a wardrobe malfunction or something go wrong, a drag show is the place where it's welcomed. And Oh, my Tamagotchis are beeping. Wait, literally? Oh, Tom- yeah. Tamagotchis? <laughs> I don't know how to turn them oh, off. Oh, my God. I, I, was trying, I was trying earlier to be like, we're not that, no, we're not that far apart in age. But then you have Tamagotchis in yeah. your pocket, so it makes me feel that you might yeah. be a very young child. It's just a testament <gasps> to how, like, white people don't have real problems. Oh, and you got to feed them, right? That's what you're like, that's what Yeah, you want? feed them. Um, they stay remember. alive. They've di- they died over DragCon weekend because I got too busy, but they're back to life. <laughs> What is the button where you feed them? Uh, you push the left button, mm-hmm. and it'll show a bread or candy. Oh, oh my god! Oh no, <laughs> okay. I think you. I don't think I. Do. No, I don't you think killed I my killed baby. That's I'm okay. sorry. It's uh, oh terrible. But I think um, dra- drag shows. I think it's just like everything should go wrong, and it's fine. And if it's it's like a gift. If the mic goes out, if someone's too drunk, it's just part of the show. And so it's funny because I read like Sarah Silverman's book, and I read Amy Schumer's book, and I've read every comedian's book, and every comedian's story is like. Well, I bombed for 15 years until I finally thought of one good joke, and then I got invited to sit at a table with a bunch of men, and then someone, like, jerked off in front of me, and then I got a special. Yes. Like, it's such a long road. It is. But for drag, Katya and I always talk about, like, we, like, accidentally, like, slipped in the back door, and we're like, yep, we're comedians. We've been comedians the whole time. <laughs> like, two years ago, I debuted my first show, which was, like, an hour. My first time doing stand-up, I did, like, a full 45-minute hour, and I was backstage, like... I've lied to them. I've swindled them, and they're all about to find out. But it is—I mean, it is—it is true what you're saying that like drag somehow is—it is improv and stand-up. Absolutely. That's why people there's drag queens who make entire careers out of doing nothing but walking out unprepared and making a show out of whatever's going on in the room. There's comedians who work like that. Yeah, I mean that—that's that is also what you're. What you were just talking about, that thing where you're starting. I mean, you know, you get on stage, like, before you actually have anything that's good. Yeah. So much like you're saying, it's a lie. I mean, you go on stage as a comic. Like, the first time you walk on stage to do stand-up, it's like, are you ready for your next comic? Okay, keep going for Cameron Esposito. And you're not, were you like, you're di- not a comic. I mean, like. Imposter, you, full you, imposter. You have been introduced this way. Like, I guess they expect jokes, but you don't have jokes. Like, you have the one thing you wrote, and then you're just going to kind of. Yeah. Take up space and time. I guess with That's drag, you start as a shitty drag queen. So for years, right. you look rotted. And then you figure it out. And then you start figuring out how to look okay, and then you start figuring out how to perform okay. And then you start figuring out 
why do people like you? And that's really the direction you should channel because if nobody likes your dancing and everyone thinks you're funny, just go be funny. That'll be your thing. You know, like, I think, at least for me, it was like by the time I arrived at being a comedian, I had been doing drag like eight years. So it was like, oh, I guess these are the same muscles. It's yeah. like when Michael Jordan switched to baseball. <laughs> well, I saw Michael Jordan play <laughs> baseball and he's like, not that oh, great Oh, never mind. <laughs> it's like when... But- um, I don't know. Didn't Tanya but Harding he came switch back. to boxing? But he came back. Michael Jordan then came back to basketball. So it's yeah. almost like when Michael Jordan came back to basketball yeah. from baseball. Yeah. Do you, um, so when you started doing stand-up, like, oh my God, these Tamagotchis, they got to go. I just, I mean, throw I'm, them in the hall. Throw them in the hall. No, it's fine. Sierra. Get them out of here. Sierra. <laughs> get the sitter. <laughs> I don't know how to turn them off. Give them to, give them to, yeah, you got it. Sierra just says to go don't ever. the <laughs> So gay people don't have kids, and this is why. <laughs> we have other things going on. Oh, I have so many follow-up questions. So many. But same with music, though. Same with anything. It's like you have full-on imposter syndrome until one day you forget that you were a pretender, and then you're doing it. You know? Well, you are very good, though, at – like you and Katya have amazing chemistry. That's part of it. People are just watching you have a friendship, yeah. and that's captivating, yeah. kind of regardless of – what else is happening? Like, you just have such good energy mm-hmm. with each other. But then you also have, like, punchy... How did you guys first meet? Is it... We met on Drag Race. We weren't That's even, it. You never knew each other before Drag we Race. We barely spoke on Drag Race. And then it was like we... um, After Drag Race, you know, I we both of us went home fairly somewhat middle. And we talked a lot on the phone. And we got close. And then I had the idea of, like, oh, let's do this episode of um, this show called Fashion Photo Review where we critique the looks of the hosts of that show. And then it was so funny, and people liked it. And then I said, I want to do a show. And World of Wonder said, what do you want it to be about? And I said, uh, we'll make the first episode deciding what it's about. And then we just we just ran with it. I mean, Katya says that show is successful because it's like, it's it's funny, but you're also watching the development of a friendship. Because we didn't start close friends. Mm. You know, like 70 episodes in, and then going to the TV show, we like became best friends over the show. So it was like, it was a wild thing. And then, you know, I had started stand-up around like because people started to like us from the YouTube series and then it was like oh I could like start doing assembling a full show now because people will come see me because of the YouTube series more than anything because I mean on Drag Race you see like blips of people but you don't really learn what they're good at and it's everything even as a drag queen it's like fish out of water everyone's well, like, okay, you're a share impersonator. Well, today you're decorating a boat and uh, <laughs> selling cherry pie gift certificates. And the runway theme is uh, a dead body. Sure. So you're never in your element either. It's like people on, do people on Last uh, Comic Standing or anything like that experience that? I mean, I think Last Comic Standing is totally bizarre, is a, is a totally bizarre experience because, well, maybe this is what Drag Race is like too. I don't know. You like, didn't do that, show, like, did you? No, I never did. No. But um, stand-up is like, it almost is prohibitive of judging. Like, there's, like, there's no good way to be able to judge. Like, what would you possibly judge people on? Because it's subjective. It's, so, it's all subjective. It's so subjective. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess you could put two queens next to each other and, like, there might be, like, some, like, irrefutable evidence that one of them has better makeup. Like, I guess that's yeah. true, although it is also subjective on top of that. But yeah. for stand-up, it's, like... I think everybody that I know that was on that show, it's a, just a totally bizarre experience because you're being totally you're being judged on like, I guess, what has been edited together from the stand up that you really did. <laughs> yeah. And on TV, they also try, I'm sure they try to make your story. And it's like, like for me, I don't consider myself a 
it's like on one hand, I don't want people to call me like a gay comedian. On the other hand, I'm so gay and I want everything to be gay and I want to talk about everything in a gay way. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Great. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm like, don't put me in a box. But also, I don't want to talk about any of that. I only want to talk about gay things. Thank you so much. But I mean, what so much gay of my people get what that is. You, I yeah. get what you're saying. I mean, 50% or more of my audience is women, almost all straight women. I would say it's 50% straight women, a quarter lesbians, and a quarter like gay men. So at this point, it's weird to go from like originally you perform for all your gay friends in gay bars, and now it's like if there's gay guys at my show, I'm like, oh, hey. I don't know why that surprises the fuck out of me. I think it's because women are planners. Sure. That's true. Sure. I don't want to generalize, but like when, if, when oh, yeah. if you're a woman who likes Tricks and Mattel and the tickets go on sale, you're like, I don't know who's going. I'm just going to get five tickets just in case. Yes. No, you're t- Whereas, that's so different than like performing at a bar in West Hollywood yes. where it's just like you're going to get a lot of Gay guys won't buy tickets because yeah. they're like, what if something better comes along? Sure. What if something cooler happens? And then they buy tickets last minute and they're staying by the bar. And I'm like, well, all these lovely young teenage girls bought tickets the morning of. I mean, oh the first God. three rows of my shows is all like girls under 25 in perfect, like, big, beautiful hair and makeup. Because it's a lot of women who, like, Trixie are also, like, hyper-feminine presenting. Yes, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Or, I mean, I get everything, but um, a lot of lesbians. I mean, I I never planned on having my audience be, like, all women, but it's actually really, like— I really love it. Do you you have any idea why lesbians? Like, do you have—have you, like, a thought on that? I think it's because young women, especially young women who are maybe, like, vibrating on a slightly different frequency, like, gender-wise or what they're presenting or their sexuality, I think that me parodying, like, hyper-femininity makes them, like, oh, okay, good. Like, that's not what a woman is, and she's making a joke of what people expect women to be. So I feel very comfortable with the woman I am. I just think young women especially are being bombarded by, like, this is what a woman is. And I think a man dressed as, like, the most extreme plastic toy icon of femininity is, like, relaxing almost. (laughs) Don't you think? You're, like, taking a burden for all of us. I think you might be right. I mean, the the other thing that I would add to that, this is just, like, my own personal thought on it, is that it's – there are so many dudes that I don't know what they want from me. Like, straight men. Yeah. Being in the world, just being lesbian, being out in the world, I don't know what straight men want from me. Yeah. Constantly I'm in a conversation with somebody where like – and I have like really good dude friends, right? I, there are mostly fucking dudes that do my job. But like, right. You know, and, but there's this moment where you're just like, ah, you're fighting this role that you have to fall into yeah. as a woman, even if you're a lesbian. Like you still – there's still like – I notice that my voice changes when I talk to like straight dudes. You know, like there's a whole thing like I do a different – Body posture. You do a and costume like change. You do a wig change. Exactly. Do, yeah. Lip color. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, full on, right? I was at a so I know what I'm getting from you. Yeah. Which is just like a little bit more like I can actually kind of worship you, like that feeling of like the like yeah. you're the object. Um, On one hand, it's, it's like if, cool. if you love women, Trixie being this like frilly, glittery celebration of everything super girly is yeah. fun. On the other hand, it's making fun of it. And so it also, I think, permits, like, any expression is chill. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And no story of Trixie Mattel. None of my stand-up and none of my music is ever about me being the winner or the person who knows anything or the person who, like, succeeded. It's always about, I'm the butt of the joke, and this is what I learned, and this is how I sucked, you know? And I think, especially for young kids, it's just like— Totally. Right. I mean, I also think it's, like, a truly a safe— 
a safer guy for girls too. That's what I'm saying. You know, totally. like it's like because I don't know. I don't. There's not going to be a situation where. Um, well, you're not patrolling your own masculinity. And so no. many situations where women feel unsafe is when a dude is, like, self-patrolling. Like, totally. And so then he, like, is ramping up his masculinity and it and it fucking sucks and you can watch it happening in front of you. So if you're out there just being like, no, this is what I'm doing, that's, that's relaxing too. Yeah. Like, watching you kind of give over your power. Does that make any sense? No, it does. I have a follow-up question, which is, yeah. do you know Justin Martindale? Yes. Okay. So one time I went with him to a show, and I was walking to see him at the comedy store. Mm-hmm. I was walking with him to see him, and it occurred to me he was walking to his job where he was going to perform and leave, and he doesn't have to get dressed up. <laughs> I know. It, it, mind blown. I want to know, what the hell do you wear on stage if it's not, like, drag? <laughs> Isn't well, that it is more drag. scary? Yeah, I mean, I, maybe. Because then you're being judged for you and your face and oh your body. God. No, that's true. In drag, at least if you bomb, you're like, that was another person, bye. Oh, is that how it feels? Yes! Oh, Oof. my God. Get away oh, with murder. Oh, that's amazing. Wait, so when you t- when does the, like, when you take her off, like, is it, like, what, what feels like you're not Trixie anymore? Is it makeup? Is it... Um, like padding, like when do you feel like you're you again? Um, I mean, I think uh, out of drag, I'm just less friendly, but I'm pretty much the same person. Mm-hmm. Whereas people like Ben LaCreme sort of turned into another human. Sure. I pretty much am the same. I think I'm just a little more like over it in drag and a little more like I don't trust a drag queen who's like happy to be here. <laughs> sure. Have you ever been to a drag show where the person's like happy to be there? It's like eerie. It's like Stepford Wives. I don't know if I have actually. I don't know if I've ever seen that. I want the drag queen who's like stumbling in hungover. Like, all right, it's your birthday. Great. Oh my God. I was at a show the other night in Buffalo, New York. Last night. Oh, I went to a club last night. And this drag queen goes, oh, it's her birthday. Clap, clap, clap. And she had the most intense <laughs> Midwest accent. Clap, clap, clap. And I was like, like, that's, that's the kind perfect. of drag queen I want. I want yeah. somebody fucking over it. And I guess I guess for me, when I'm in full Trixie fantasy, I feel that the whole Barbie body shape and the pink and blonde colors, I think it, like, makes the audience warm up to me faster. Whereas I feel like if you mm. were a comedian out of drag, you have to actually win them over. Yeah, when you're I guess in drag, you, you win them over immediately. Yeah, I mean, that's right, I it's never thought of, like, of that. that it, must <laughs> what it's be, it must be what it's like to be a really hot girl sure. or a super hot guy. I know. What it, can you even imagine? No! If you just walk on stage with your actual human face and everybody there immediately trusts you. Yeah. Because I know, I know only a few comics who are like in that category of hot. Like so hot. But do you know what it happens? It comes around the other way. Because then people don't trust yes, you. Yes. Because you're uh, too hot. Um, uh, uh, what's her name? Glazer? Yeah. So Nikki? pretty. And if she didn't start with jokes that, like, make her look a douchebag, people would be like, whatever. She, it's a real problem. Especially women. God forbid you do your hair and look beautiful on stage. They're like, she's a— It's totally— She's it's, a slut. It's a whole line that you have to ride. But, like, in terms of what do I wear on stage, I mean, I'm very specific about what, I'm, what I choose to wear on stage. I'm always fucking hot because I wear, like, black leather on stage. I wear, like, yeah, motorcycle do. jackets. It's fucking hot as hell. How hot are you in that Oh, outfit? I wish I was dead. Yeah, it's so— oh, I can't even imagine. Garbage. Drag is garbage. Drag is garbage. I'm in a corset. I can't even. Playing a guitar. I don't even know how to. How long does it take you to put your makeup on? Like an hour and a half, two hours. Okay, and then on top of that, like, does that include putting on the outfit? The makeup's like an hour and a half, and then the hair and everything else is going to be like another thirty minutes. Mm -hmm. Because um, it's it's absolutely stupid. It's completely stupid. But it's sort of like um, 
business-wise, it sort of makes me think like, all right, if Sally down the street's going to tell funny jokes, I'm going to tell funny jokes in taller shoes with nicer hair while playing a guitar. You know what I mean? It's hard to beat that. Like, you're making it legitimately difficult for me to do my job. (laughs) (laughs) You'll come out in stilts with a blonde ponytail. Hey, guys. Look, I fucking have to, okay? Um, I'm doing the best I can. It might seem tangential, but it just when you were talking about this experience of performing, I, I don't know if I've had a queen on that I've gotten to ask this to. Do people want to touch you a lot? Yeah. Like I, I just feel like that's a thing. That's in my mind, I'm imagining everybody wants to grab and touch you. Yeah, people like touching drag queens, but I'm also a really intimidating physical presence. I'm six foot two without heels on. I'm usually wearing like a four-inch heel. So then I'm like six foot uh seven. And then I have an afro that's like another foot. So I'm I'm like seven feet to the top of my, you know, follicle. Um, and <laughs> people are intimidated by me. So I've been very lucky to have like size privilege. And I can really navigate a room as like the final boss in a video game, you know? Got it. Oh, that, yeah, because that does, that sounds stressful. I would just imagine that, yeah, folks want to be close yeah. to you and like, like my hair is feel... slightly out of rain. Like to reach up and grab my hair, <laughs> to reach up and grab my hair is a, is a whole situation. And I'm, I'm, I have um, a video online of me from a while back that my best friend makes fun of me all the time. I was doing my grab show and this guy just jumped up and grabbed me and he would not let me go. And I asked him several times, please let me go. He would not let me go. And then I ended up like, like slamming him to the ground. Like, I got into a physical altercation in the middle. I've been into more than one physical altercation in drag where someone threw something at me, me or, or, or wanted to accost me. All before Drag Race. The, the, my, uh, my audience has significantly changed um, since Drag Race. Well, I want to talk about that in one tiny second. I'm going to ask this question first, and then I want to talk about your audience changing okay. since Drag Race. Um, do you ever feel unsafe, either going to or from a show or you know you're talking about this like bod that you have and and people being intimidated by you but i don't know what it's like to to be in tra- dragon tra- like yeah traversing the world so when i first started doing drag uh going to the gig was really terrifying it really used to freak me out because i was like i am like everyone sees what i'm doing Everyone knows what's going on. Some people have no clue what I do. Like they have, they're just, they don't, they don't know how to take what they're seeing. Um, but then it got to the point where I just got so used to it because I used to do so many gigs and I would have to just get dressed in full drag and take the train to work in full drag. And I'd just be a drag queen on the train. And maybe it was a little bit uncomfortable and I would really stick to myself. But let me tell you right now, when a drag queen gets on the subway train, it changes the pH balance of the room. Like, people are like, no, like, don't look at it. Don't touch it. Like, everyone looks at the ground. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, it is. Oh, wow. Yeah. People are really intimidated by, by something they don't understand, especially when it's, when it's, when it's bigger than them. Well, let's, let's go back to your audience changing since, since being on Drag Race. I, I hope it's like super obvious to all of our listeners to this show. But just in case um, not everybody watches Drag Race, it feels like you had like a particularly impactful run on that show. Like some, there yeah. are some queens who like they're on the show and then like it seems like things continue for them. And then there are some queens who like really stand out and it moves things forward for them. And it, no, I was it really seems lucky. like that really worked for you. I was really lucky. And I'm looking at my analytics right now on my um, 
Instagram because one of the big ways that my audience has changed is the uh, gender demographic. You know, on my Instagram, I think 75% of my audience identifies as as female. Wow. Um, which is really new to me. It is, oh, it, no, it's 64% women, 35% men, um, which was not the case for me. Um, in New York City, it was mostly people who identified as uh, mostly queer men. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is, that's actually, I, want, I mean, I wonder if that's, larger the audience of that show well drag race has a very uh lady fan base i mean it, right. it, 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 and, and a young fan base it's a lot of things that a teenage girl would love is makeup is dress up yeah. is fighting on tv is sassiness it's overconfidence um you know we're, we're, we're ripe for that kind of um patronage yeah also people are like talking about bodies and you're like yeah. seeing people getting ready which i yeah. just think outside of drag race we really don't even see anybody ever getting ready for anything <laughs> that's like not True. I know, you know for like a young woman that i just feel like except that would be... maybe a little bit of a project runway you'll see them making the <laughs> outfits true. you'll see them like designing outfits on project runway but yeah you don't see a whole lot and you see a little snippet I, and i mean snippets of rehearsal on dancing with the stars but drag race really shows you the full fantasy yeah how how does it feel to have your audience shift like that? Like, does that, does younger women, like, does that feel like an audience you want to speak to? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm perfectly happy because a lot of those people that who are in my younger audience also identify as queer. Um, and, you know, the first time that I, I, rem I remember the first time going back to Barracuda, my, it was my last show at my home bar. And I remember being like, like, essentially, going up to do my, like, the curtains open and these, like, to the edge of the stage. Like, I used, used to be able to, like, walk down. Like, I used to have a pack room, but they were all, like, sitting on the couches and in the chairs and sitting on the pool table and standing and stuff. But it was, like, sitting on the floor up to the very edge of the stage. And I remember being like, oh, my God, this is wild. And I remember just being like, there's a lot of ladies here. This is so different. So it was wow. a moment of adjusting, but it, but it, it wasn't, like, I, I think I adjusted pretty well to it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I just wonder, I guess I'm wondering about the, uh, I mean, God, maybe this is even dated or like from the past. So tell me, tell me if it is. <laughs> I, I don't go to, I don't go to like gay bars in LA. Have I you go been to banned? Like, Have you been banned? Yeah, I've been from banned all from bars? all of them. I, <laughs> no, I go to like East Side queer shit, which feels so different. Like I go to like, everything's like a sober knitting hour where people are also working out, you know, but like doing like low impact body pause. You know what I mean? Like oh it's like, it's just God. a different vibe. It's like a hike where you're, where also people are, where there's like a tarot thing going on. So it's very different <laughs> than like where a drag show would usually be. When, when I lived in Chicago, I used to do a bunch of shows in Boys Town. And I just remember that vibe of like when a bachelorette party would come in, how that would change the room and people would be disappointed and like annoyed to have a space shift like that. And I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's fair to say. There's something about a um, bachelorette party that can really, really upset people. I mean, it can really upset people. And I think I kind of got used to doing um, 
like like having them at my shows because I also used to work at this bar called this restaurant called Lucky Chang's, which was oh, a, I've been there. Yeah, it's a, it's, it, it is it is bachelorette central. Like like they cater to bachelorettes. They like usher in that kind of uh, clientele. So it wasn't far from me. And and I want to be clear. I, I don't think that a drag the drag race audience is it's not the same as the bachelorette clientele because the bachelorette That's clientele, good to know. in my yeah. experience, are people going to this event to celebrate themselves. And when you go to these drag race events, they are really there to celebrate the person on stage. Like truly and honestly. That's so cool. Yeah, I've been to I've been to DragCon. I saw those lines. Yeah, it's wild. Those lines are those lines are wild. <laughs> it is wild. It is wild, yeah. Well, let me ask this question and then I'll ask the, the next. So you were talking about like growing up all over the South and then eventually you're gonna get to New York City and you're gonna start doing drag. But can you talk me through one of those things to the other, like moving to New York and starting to do drag or if you started elsewhere? Yeah, no, I started drag in New York City, and I was in, living in um, Georgia at the time, and I and I got a gig working for a children's theater. I used to do a lot of children's theater. I was working for the Missoula Children's Theater. Shout out MCT in Missoula, Montana. And I was talking to this, like, I was my touring partner was this guy named Dave, and we were just talking. He was like, you know, I said, I'm going to move to New York City one day. And he said, I'll make a deal with you. If you move directly to New York City from here, I'll buy your From Missoula, Montana. <laughs> From Missoula, cause I was I was gonna go home and like get my things like get my life together and save some money. Yeah. He said, he said I really just believe in you. So if you go straight to New York City from here, I'll buy your plane ticket. And I said, oh my god. <laughs> um. So I took it was five hundred bucks. Who am I to say no to five hundred bucks? I'm I'm you know twenty two years old, twenty one years old. Um. So I, I moved straight to New York City, and then I had been living here for a year, auditioning and stuff, and. And then after a year, RuPaul's Drag Race came on TV. And then I saw it and I was like, I, I really want to try that. Like, that just sounds like wow. a lot of fun. So I started doing drag the first year that Drag Race came out. Wow. Yeah. When you, where did you stay? When you arrived in New York, where did you stay? Oh, this is an interesting story. So my, I, when I used to work, I used to work for another theater company called the Climb Theater based out of um, the Twin Cities. And me and my old roommate there, his name was Steven. Steven was a friend of mine who had moved to New York City, and I will never forget this. Steven, like, called me, and he moved to New York City because he's from Oklahoma. And I was like, I cannot believe you live in New York City. What's it like? And he goes, you know, and he said that he goes, when I moved to New York City, my friend kicked me out after a week. And it really was upsetting, and I would never do that to you. If So I moved there, and he kept his word. He did not kick me out after a week. He kicked me out after four days. So I moved, <laughs> I moved to, to stay oh, with shit. him. And he kicked me out after four days of sleeping on his couch. And then I used my BlackBerry. That's <laughs> how long ago this was. I used my BlackBerry and I went on Craigslist and I found an apartment. And I gave this lady, her name was Sharifa. I gave Sharifa all of my money to live in her living room. Every dollar I had. Oh, wow. Because I told my friend Steve and I, he, he said, how much money do you have come here? And I said, I have $1,400. And then he was like, okay, that sounds, that sounds pretty decent. And then I moved there. And by the time I got there, I had $700. But also, he had not taken into account the fact that I had to eat every single day. I had to move across the country. I had to do all this stuff. So when I got there, I had less money. He felt like I was lying to him. And I was like, I didn't lie to you. I just, it's been two weeks and I spent $700 living and moving and getting a cab here. Yeah. And everyone, anyone who lives in the city knows that a cab from um, the airport to Queens is it's like fifty dollars, um, 
So I was like, I did not lie to you, but he felt like I was being dishonest and he asked me to be out by the time he got home. Wow. You have no money. What did you do next? So I went and got a job at this uh, place called Dialogue Direct. It's a, you ever see those people on the street who go, hey, uh, do you have a moment to talk about uh, kids who need your help? Absolutely. I was one of those. I did that for uh, uh, two weeks and I was so bad at the job, they fired me. I mean, I literally only got one person to sign up in two weeks and I will never forget the lady signed up. I'm not making this up. She said... What's your name? And I said, my name's Caldwell. And she goes, let me tell you something, Caldwell. This is not for you. <laughs> she was like, you got something really special in you, and it's oh, not this. Yeah. She goes, I feel like you have something really bright going for you. So I will only sign up for this if you promise me you'll quit this job. That is beautiful. And, and I, I took her money, and I did not intend to quit. But I got fired the, that day when I got back. They were like, you got to get out of here. I feel like the the struggling artist uh, rite of passage is what did what job did you do that is performed on the street? It could be that could be anything. Like I was one of those people where um, they are dressed like a granola bar, but then they also give you a granola bar. You know, uh, you, like, you did that. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah. That's <laughs> amazing. Like, Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of us, with the body image issues that we have, thank you, universe and industry, nobody wants to be up in that pink leotard. Nobody. No. No. <laughs> no. no. Do you, what, how does that factor into body image stuff for you when, like, so much of your job is about, like, presenting your body? Or at least that's what it seems like so much of your job is about presenting your body. It is. It is. It's really, it, it, a lot of it is. And, you know, uh, I don't know how I get through it <laughs> because I certainly am an individual who's like, I don't want to show anything. And then on stage, I'm like half naked, mm -hmm. you know? And so it is a thing. Um, I certainly am extremely body conscious in terms of the, the fashions and the looks that I wear and how I, you know, there's a little bit of, um, you know, smoke and mirrors happening. Um, and so that is my only protection. But uh, I wish that there was less emphasis on the body. But, you know, as a, as a, as a drag performer who does drag in the form of an, the essence of a woman, um, you know, the, 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 the sort of, judge the people judge you based on how well you can kind of transform and as a trans woman 
people judge you based on how well you can transform. And then as a woman, people just judge you. And so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Yeah. So it is, it's, it's a, it's a rough, it's rough out in here, here in these streets, but we're, we're hopefully I'll just get a corset and a girdle and hope for the best. I mean, also (laughs) as you speak, it's like, you know, I hear you talking about smoke and mirrors and it's like, yeah, that's, that's also true for literally anybody in the entertainment industry because nobody looks like that without, Mm -hmm. without effort. There's, there's no, Mm -hmm. there's nobody, Mm -hmm. there's nobody whose body just looks like that. Like there's nobody whose face nobody. just I'm looks sorry. like that. There's nobody whose hair just looks like that. That's not, that's not anything. Um, and so that is another thing. That's, it's so bizarre. And that's what we're all trying to do. Yes, exactly. You know, not everyone, but that's what, but that's like the industry standard. The industry standard is something that no one has. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And actually I would also start, say maybe, maybe everyone, you know, maybe everyone is trying mm-hmm. to do something that is like, a created body. Like if that wasn't true, then mm-hmm. the fitness industry and the diet industry wouldn't be what it is, you know, and also what like creams, mm-hmm. you know, multitudinous moisturizers mm-hmm. and like every cream, know, every hyaluronic yeah. acid, yeah. glycolic acid. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how much do you, um, like now in this moment right now, how much are you keeping up like a sort of a, the same vibe that you would do if you were performing regularly, like face, body, all um, that stuff. Is that still happening? A le- less. It's fair to say. Definitely less. Definitely a lot less. Um, now that I'm kind of back in the dating pool, though, I'm like, oh, God, I remember this. And I'm like, oh, well, OK, I guess I'll put on makeup you know? <laughs> oh my God, you're back um, in the dating pool. Well, that's, that's, uh, yes. Cause I'm single again. I guess that's something that I don't know. Well, you're, you're not single anymore. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, I'm back in the dating pool. And so that, that's that whole other, it's like, you know, it's basically the same as getting in drag again, like at night and at, during the day or like when you go on a date. Um, and so aside from that, I, you know, I, I mean, let me tell you, I found myself in a box of French bread pizza this summer, and I never left until about a month ago. (laughs) I gained all of the weight, and I was savoring those, every morsel of those French bread pizza bites. Because I hadn't had French bread pizza in years. By the way, probably delicious. Probably 15 years. Utterly delicious. delicious. French bread pizza? I'm like, oh my Are you God. Delicious. It's better than regular pizza. And that's hard to It's beat. true. Also, you cannot make it yourself. <laughs> like, I get that they sell French bread. You can't. And I get that they sell sauce. Yeah. But that's not how it does. No, that's not you have how to it just happens. buy it. You got to get it from the store. <laughs> and that's how it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is delicious. And so that was that was my that was my downfall. I was actually doing really well until I was like, oh, you know, I don't feel like they were doing renovations in the kitchen, in my kitchen. And I was like, oh, okay. It looks like I'm having microwave and like whatever meals, because I can't cook. Um, and that was my downfall. Those even I was getting delivery, I was getting like healthier food delivered, you know, that was ready to eat. And then then one day I was like, you know what, oh, fresh my pizza's on sale. That was the last, the, the last thing I ever said. 
Famous last uh, words. <laughs> it's it's been hard to it's been hard to you know what, truly? It is hard to care about anything right now. And I'm that's not usually a problem that I have. I'm like usually uh I have a fire True under that. my ass all the time about everything. And this is these are some new experiences for me. Not like mm-hmm. just being like, oh, wild. I don't know what I care about. Like I that's you know, and I know um I care about larger I care issues. I care about larger issues and then I go out and do the thing that I think you know, is the most effective on that particular day. Mm -hmm. But I do feel a little more disconnected from the results even. You know, like I think before, I think I've always felt, I've had this enormous privilege by the nature of my job where I always get to feel somewhat impactful. Like even if if I haven't been doing shit, it's like I'm seeing people face Mm -hmm. to face, I'm working at this event, I'm, you know, donating this time or whatever it is. I get to feel like... um, that I matter on this earth. And that mm-hmm. is like not something that I feel right now. And I, first of all, like I said, I'm realizing, oh my mm-hmm. God, what a what a wild privilege I've had for so many years. Maybe this is how many people feel mm-hmm. all the time, which is like- All the time. You know, that I don't know. That's a big fear of mine. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> you know. Well, that's probably why we do the jobs that we do because it's a big fear <laughs> of ours. Well- Heat up the French bread yeah, pizza. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So what are you, what are, what do you care about right now? Like, what is it that's keeping uh, I you? I mean, I think, um, I, I definitely am so engaged in a lot of the, and I care about continuing the conversations that we started having over the summer. I care about rehashing the conversations that we were having around the Me Too movement um, uh, and bringing those into play equally or at, you know at simultaneously with with a lot of the BLM conversations uh, I care about getting people to ic- understand and acknowledge the importance of being able to have uh, uh, the importance of recognizing what's happening to black trans women in this country with regards to the murder rate um, and one of the things that I think kind of connects a lot of those things is, which we're not really talking about that actively, at least I haven't really seen a lot of, is having these conversations that allow, that destigmatize the lovers of trans people, the people who are romantically in- involved with a trans person. Uh, because those people, I think, don't have a lot of different resources and places to go. Um, and, and they certainly don't have a lot of examples in the public eye. Uh, you know, I think dating or being with a trans person, whether sexually or romantically or both, is something that is new to a lot of people, uh, most, I would imagine. And even though we're, we were human, like we're human. So it's like, there's nothing like we get it. Like it's, it's not rocket science, but it is still, I think people view it as like an exotic anomaly that's taboo. And like, I think they're to the point where they can accept, okay, there's a transgender actor on this TV show or in that thing. But dating one of us is, is a whole completely different thing. Because it means that, do they need to come out? Do they need to, what does that mean? Do they need to speak publicly about it? Can they keep it a secret? That's, I think that's a conversation that not a lot, enough of us are having, but I think it's really important. So I'm invested in that, which is why I, um, shot this this 
sure, I was trying to figure out how am I going to bring my album to life? What am I going to do to like bring it to life? Because I can't shoot music videos in the typical fashion that I would have shot them because of COVID and everything. And, and I haven't been working, so there's no money to shoot it in the first place. Um, and so we decided to get together and shoot like a short film that would be scored by my music, which comes out in the end of, in October. And in that, the, there's a lot of issues that I deal with on the album, but the one issue that's central that I was like, let's bring this to the forefront and make it about this is the, my relationship with my partner in the film. Um, and being able to show it in a way that's not, you know, a lot of times when we see relation, romantic relationships that involve trans, especially trans women, there's like, there's like somebody's carrying all this shame into the thing. There's all this trauma and shame and they're running from these people and hiding from those people. You know, like it's, it's just, those are realistic stories, but we never get to see the rest. And so I wanted to have like just joy, a joyful relationship where in the, in the video, um, where people can see this man adoring this trans woman and treating her the way a partner should treat somebody when they're in a relationship. Um, not killing them, which is what ends up with in real life, a lot of the people. And so, um, and so that's, that's really important to me is having those, fostering those conversations, um, around those issues. Yeah, that is, that's brilliant. And, and I, I, I mean, obviously I, I know that that's where the work has to be done in terms of violence reduction, but it is, it is really wild to think about, um, like, who we don't have playing. Like, so, okay, now there are some, you know, trans women that we see on TV or whatever, but, like, who is paired with that mm-hmm. person and what does that relationship look like? Another thing that I would say mm-hmm. is I think on the um, transmasculine side um, of this equation, because a lot of folks that identify as, like, transmasculine or non-binary folks are like from the lesbian queer side of the community. I think we also don't mm-hmm, talk mm-hmm. at all yet about the shifts in those relationships because for a lot of people, I just, I think that we don't, I think we're not talking about how this impacts dating. Like in a, in a, we're in not. a, in a like, yeah. okay, this is how, because we don't talk about, um, like you said, whether or not, you know, you have to come out. I know a lot of people that, you know, I've been partnered to folks who are, who are trans folks and it and it is a question of so then like I literally got this question from a listener so like then what can I call myself you know like what are the words I can call Uh myself in that moment and what does it mean you know Uh because I think this exists I think this exists within the queer community too like there are many many lesbians I know who date trans women and many you know queer folks who are who date you know or a partner to non-binary and trans-masculine folks. And I just, I think that, like, it's it's in the straight world, it's like this sort of, um, there's this, like, villainy thing going on. Like, I'm being tricked into this mm-hmm. situation, uh, you know. Yeah, like a perpetrator. Yeah, perpetrator, like an SVU episode or whatever. And then in the, uh-huh. in the queer world, <laughs> I think that we act like these conversations don't need to happen. Like, I think that's also something that we mm-hmm. are doing to ourselves. I think a lot mm-hmm. of queer mm-hmm. folks who, especially queer folks who like really want to feel like they are like, you know, 
woke or like of the moment. People don't want to don't act like we need to talk about this. And this is a lot of these are shifting words, shifting identities, shifting overlap, you know, like just you saying we've always been in drag. Like this is just these are not new things in our community, but they're things that I don't know that we necessarily do a great job of talking about. We don't. And I and I and I do think I'm I am starting to see, especially in the gay male in the gay men's side of things um, more. And I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older or what's going on um, more. Uh, I don't know if I'm seeing more conversation. I'm not seeing more conversation, but I'm definitely seeing more uh, cis gay folks. Gay men partnered with trans mask people, which I think is like, yeah. I'm just so happy about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way that you're dressed right now is um, gender non-conforming or whatever for like, for whatever phrasing we want to use. Um, and was that when you were, when did you give yourself permission to do that always in life? Or was there a, a moment where you felt like you could dress in the way that you wanted to? Oh, jeez. Oh, I don't, I mean, it's still, I, I don't know. It's still, uh, it's still a like journey and a conversation and it's sort of always shifting and I don't, you know, some, I don't that that's the thing about gender is like I don't uh, I don't really believe like I don't I don't believe in it because <laughs> because it it just change it's so mutable and it like is constantly changing and it's like sometimes I want to be more like femme and sometimes I fucking don't want to be and and so it's like why you know so I can't really I I don't so I don't know that there's a phrase. I guess gender non-conforming is cool. My friend Jeremy likes to say gender floral. Which yeah, I like. absolutely. I like, for me, gender fuckage. I like yeah. that a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I guess it started, like, I, like, when I was in, like, like, high school and college. I was very, like, I was, like, I was trying to be, like, kind of, like, Act, act not effeminate so that I could like go on like get laid and go on dates with guys because it was it was told to me that like that's what you have to do and then at a certain point I was like fuck that I'm gonna be as faggy and as gay as I possibly can and so I just went the other way with it and so I guess that was like and that's when I started to get into drag I was like I want to go to the, I want to indulge this sort of instinct within me that is effeminate and sort of and and gay, and so I did, and that I fell into drag. That's yeah, that's also interesting because I don't know that I think like in a post in a post like drag race world, I don't know that younger folks like folks who are like if that's their first exposure to queerness, for instance, mm-hmm. I don't know that they will know about this thing that you're talking about. Maybe they will, but where, um, uh, like to butch it up was, was very 
that thing that you're talking about, about like to get laid, I had to butch it up. I mean, I, yeah. I would love to talk about more about that for a second. Cause I feel like it's something that as a community, as we're talking more about like a spectrum of gender, I feel like we're not talking about that as much, but it was, I mean, I definitely know what you're talking about and remember that idea of like giant muscles and like, uh, yeah, like masculinity being super prized. What, what age were you when that was happening when you were like getting those messages um i mean you know at 18 19 20 21 and what were you trying to do like what what were you trying to wear or be or be interested in i don't know i guess it was just like trying to like control my mannerisms very like mm. fucking you know very uh nathan lane and the birdcage it was very like trying to like and of course even in trying to do that i was still failing at it because i ultimately like i can't i i can't do it even if i try (laughs) um uh, but i you know just trying to like you know calm down the clothes nothing too like flashy um calm down the the mannerisms the 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 speaking it's like and eventually i would i just felt so like repressed and oppressed by that i was like Fuck that. And the funny thing is, once I did that, once I said, fuck that bullshit, then I started, like, really having, like, great relationships and great, you know, uh, dalliances with with people who really, like, saw me and really got me. And so ultimately, that's going to be better, like, in intimacy anyway than if you're, like, trying to, I don't know be something else yeah yeah absolutely i feel like i'm still trying to i mean at this point in my life even still trying to figure out what i'm supposed to wear and how i'm supposed to be in the world because uh i don't know what is the like mask of center cheetah print leotard i that's what i need that's what i need i need the i need the opposite side of the coin that you're doing um and Anyway, I feel like it's, well, when I look at something like Drag Race or you, when I look at you, you know, like in culture, I just think you're giving so many people permission to mm. be the person that they are. Um, and I'm, I feel like I can't always identify who is giving me permission. Like, I mean, number one, I could just give it to myself, but I don't always have mm-hmm. like aspirational people that I can look to and go like, I mean, I think Lena Waithe looks amazing all the time. Who else looks amazing? I can't, I, I, my list is short. <laughs> right. Um I guess I want to ask you about so you started dating you started dating started doing where were you where were you when you started geographically when you started doing I was drag. in Pittsburgh. I went to ah. school at, at the University of Pittsburgh and it was toward the end like I was I was involved in theater and then I was like then I was like getting into drag and it was like at that point drag was very underground. It was not, you know, it was sort of like, it was sort of like my roommate. It was like the bane of my roommate, my roommate's existence <laughs> because drag is messy and it's wild and it's, da- it would, I was, it was dangerous. It was like, you know, like, um, 
it was certainly not a viable career choice. It was sort of like I was I was like I was throwing away, you know, like like, oh, you're going to throw away your life and go do drag like, you, you know, it was not what it is now, which is like, oh, now it's like a career. Path. Totally. <laughs> it's just baffling to me. That is wild. Yeah, that's a massive change. <laughs> also, Pittsburgh is beautiful. Um so beautiful. Which is so weird. I don't know why I didn't ever just just saying that. Just I'm just saying that as a public service announcement to the listeners of the podcast because I didn't know that until a few years ago. And I it drove really in there is. for a show uh, and was like, wait, what? <laughs> I did it's not beautiful and fun beautiful. and fierce. I love it. Yeah. When you were first performing there. What size community? You know, were you one of a few? Is there was there like a vibrant scene at the time? Well, that's the thing about drag is like anywhere you go, there even at that time, anywhere you went, there were drag queens. Like drag was happening. It we didn't have a TV show. It we didn't have. I mean, really, I guess a little bit of the internet, but even before the internet, like drag was happening. It was going on. And um, because it's like a necessary thing for the community, you know, like we needed it. So it was like, so I would get to know very organically the drag queens who were in town. Like, that's how it worked. It was like I went and I did a, a contest show and I met some queens that way. And then, it, you know, it continued that way. And then, you know, we were friends and then we were sisters and. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, you're right. Of, of course, it was happening. And I, I do think that I was thinking about when you said that you missed bars earlier. Like, mm. that was one of the, those <laughs> first things you said you missed. Mm -hmm. And I, it's, uh, that's also specific, I think, to what you're talking about. Because, I I mean, I'm, I think now you perform mostly in theaters. Is that true? Do you mostly perform in theaters now? Or sometimes perform uh, in theaters? <laughs> It's been so long. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> well, you I don't know. Yes. In your house right now. You perform <laughs> in, your in house. my house. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. Um. Yeah. Th theaters. I also fucking love nightclubs, and I love I love bars. So you know, a little of the, yeah. a little of all of it. Yeah, I, I was gonna say that I think, to my knowledge, anyway, and the first the first time I saw drag. So like in Provincetown, people there would be drag queens performing in theaters. But outside of Provincetown, it was bars yeah. and, and nightclubs. And you're competing with, um, like, all manner of screaming, all manner of people getting drinks, all manner mm -hmm. of people hooking up. Um, mm -hmm. I, like, I went to those shows when I was first performing myself. Sometimes I would have... I actually sometimes did sets at those shows, which honestly... That's, what a terrible experience. <laughs> that's terrifying. Don't yeah. do that. Nobody, Don't do that to yourself. Why was anybody booking me? I just was like <laughs> at the place where you had to say yes to everything and they'd be like, of course. I guess. And you know, like I like oh my God. put on my like vest and bow tie and was just like, People are like, we don't want to see this. And I'm like, no, I agree. But I am making $50, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to tell the jokes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's a that's a sort of a rowdy... Yeah, that's like a rowdy version of... I guess I was going to ask if you still have that. If you still have that, like, rowdy out there in the mix version of performing this. Or if that's changed at all. Yes, I do. And that's why... 
you know, that's why I gravitated toward drag because it sort of goes a step beyond theater in in a sort of like, you know, the theater is like, there's a strict delineation. It's like when you're on stage, you're in your costume, you're in your character and you do your thing. And then the curtain comes down. You take off. You, you are never to wear your, co- your costume out into the world. That is forbidden in the theater. In drag, it's like I come right off stage. I'm still in it. The, the line is completely broke. I'm at the bar getting it. You know, it's like. It like completely shatters that like strict delineation, which I liked, you know, and I, you know, I love theater and I love the rules of it. But drag was very like there are no there are no rules. The the thing you saw on stage is suddenly like in the parking lot getting getting in the car, you know, <laughs> like yeah, loading suitcases into the trunk. Yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> or I mean, in in. Provincetown specifically, that's a very funny uh, uh, place to see drag queens because folks flyer for their own shows. And so there's just there are just folks in the middle of the street uh, or riding a bicycle around. Have you do you perform yeah. there ever? Have you ever performed there? I've never I'm the, uh, as gay as I am. I've never been to Provincetown. <gasps> it's it's on my list of things I must do like soon. I really want to go because it's like a super gay place. It is a super gay place. It's also it's the it's at the end of the state of Massachusetts. And I remember the first time that I went there (laughs) when I was like in college because I went to college in Boston. It is funny to 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 think about like the 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 gays just like continuing to move to the edge. Like if there's we couldn't go any further along that state, we would fall into the ocean. So it really likes people being like, please leave us alone. Let us live our lives. let us be gay, please. There's Uh, no reason you need to travel through here. This is... um, (laughs) Actually, that is the first place I ever saw a drag queen. I was there, I was there with my, I don't know why, I had it, I have an aunt who lives in Boston who... We all went to see her. My whole family, grandparents are there. Grandparents from rural Ohio are there. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, she and her husband convinced us that Provincetown was mostly known as an artist colony, which it is an artist colony, but it's also very gay place. And I think I was, I think I was like 10 or 11 and we took the ferry over and there, um, I do remember walking with my entire family behind somebody who was in full dragon wearing assless chaps. I guess you don't need to say assless. You can just say chaps and wearing chaps with nothing underneath. And Work. just being like, I I've never even seen an ass before. Let alone right. let alone this. Al- on display. Yes. Yeah. Um, That's the earth. <laughs> 